Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Christian Reef podcast. Today's guest is me. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, um, it's a discussion based episode. Uh, I did have a guest for this week, but unfortunately that fell through as these things do sometimes. Wishing them all the best, hope they're safe and well. Um, but I do have topics lined up, you know, for such an instance. And one thing I've said in the past, both on my live streams and in previous podcasts, is that I'm very keen to do more episodes like this, where I talk to you and I basically discuss a topic at length. And that could be, you know, my knowledge on a particular topic, my thoughts and opinions on a, on a particular topic that I've researched, or um, it could just be me sharing stories, which is basically what today is going to be. Um, but it's also the ultimate test for me. It's, you know, testing my ability to be able to do this so that I know that, you know, if I don't have any guests for a given period, I can just keep the podcast going. And, you know, I've done a few episodes like this. I think in total, maybe there's, I'd say somewhere in the region of about 10 or less episodes like this. You know, some of those episodes include uh, the 100th anniversary, uh, where I kind of looked back over the past year of the podcast and, and tried to kind of talk about what I'd learned during that time, etc. There was the skateboarding episode where I spoke about, you know, my knowledge of skateboarding and my experiences skateboarding growing up. The wrestling episode, which for those who don't know, I'm a massive wrestling fan. So that episode naturally had me discussing all my thoughts on modern wrestling and old school wrestling and how I got into wrestling. And uh, this topic is no different. Uh, volunteering is something I've always wanted to do. And this will sound very silly, but I wasn't sure how to get into volunteering years ago. Um, sure, I probably would have done some stuff at school. I do vaguely remember in primary school putting together a shoebox of things to then send to someone in Africa and, and it was like toys and, and stuff like that. But I never really counted that because it was like a whole school initiative thing and everyone's doing it. And I feel like often volunteering is a very personal thing. Everyone has their own reasons for why they do it and, and why they continue to do it. And for me, I always felt bad that I could never really give to people in a meaningful way. Now, I've never really been in a position where I've had like a lot of money. I, I grew up in a pretty poor household. I mean, we had what we needed. We were fine and everything, but, uh, you know, it was difficult. So I never really had like loads of money lying around or whatever to give people. Um, and I know that's not the whole thing you know it's not like um sorry I'm, <laughs> I'm not articulating myself well at all here i'm still a bit ill and under the weather so i do apologize if my voice is off and if my mind is not quite as snappy as it normally is but anyway um i never felt like it was enough to just you know maybe give some people some money here and there make a donation to a charity i always felt like i could do more and i wanted to do more but i just had no idea how to get into volunteering it to me it seemed like something that's very difficult you know it's about who you know etc and uh growing up in London I guess I never really looked into it as much you know I used to be that type of person many many years ago 
who would write things off and come up with you know reasons why i shouldn't do something like oh it probably won't work out oh it probably this oh probably that i didn't actually just go and look into it and uh this brings us to the starting the start of my volunteering which was in 2020 so somewhere around september time i started looking into it i started thinking you know what i'm in this new city manchester i've been living here now six or seven months at that point uh now it's close to two years or it'd be, be two years in february uh 2022 uh, of me living in manchester but um at that point in 2020 I'd, I'd been here for like six months and you know i just really like the people here the vibes everything it's basically just you know london but a lot smaller and controversial but i think a bit more culture and vibes in some areas not to say london doesn't have that but um there's much more of the vibes aspect to things and culture than there is like you know business districts and stuff but there is of course that too here in manchester but this is not a podcast about manchester maybe we'll do one of those one day um this is a podcast about volunteering <laughs> so let's get to the point shall we i started looking around at different places and one place got back to me and I won't say their name. Uh, people could probably pretty easily find out about them and stuff, but I found a particular place and they were one of three, I think that actually got back to me, but they offered me like a, they, they, I mean, it felt like a, an interview to be honest. And this was back in late September of 2020. So I spoke to this guy and um, he was kind of running me through the sort of stuff I'd generally be doing and you know i sort of spoke about the reasons why i wanted to do volunteering um i sort of said that you know at the time i was unemployed as well so i'd have a lot more time to play with and you know I, as with a job i was ready and willing to learn and, and do lots of things which i'm happy to say i have done since then and, and we'll get into that later on but at the time it was just for a particular position which was uh, assisting uh, the drivers of this particular charity who um, I, I, I'll explain all the different services and stuff that this place offers. But basically what I was applying for was a volunteer position to help people driving vans uh, deliver, you know, donated furniture essentially, and uh, to collect donated furniture. And so I applied for the position. It went well got the got the job the volunteer position and that brings us to october 2020 now if you'll recall around that time we'd already been in a series of lockdowns i'm not sure if we were in the tier system at that point but there was a major change that happened i can't remember exactly because to be honest the past two years is a bit of a blur for me it's all a lot has happened but as as it pertains to the pandemic it's all kind of merged into one so it's a bit weird knowing like was that 2021 or 2020 i don't know i'm your head's all over the place or well, at least mine is <laughs> but um something major had happened some sort of major shift maybe a new lockdown heightened restrictions something like that i remember entering the base of this particular charity and going up to their upstairs where all the staff were and we were sitting in some sort of meeting room uh, with the guy who'd interviewed me and there was maybe me and five or six others first time volunteers and everything we've had the little introductory speech 
and uh, we're waiting to kind of get started or you know sort of go from there and uh, he's purposefully keeping us in this room because there's a staff meeting going on in the main hall and it sounds serious it sounds like there's a something important going on i've remembered what it is now <laughs> so it wasn't a major shift or a change in lockdown rules or anything like that but there was something significant that happened which i will get to in a second so he's keeping us occupied while they're trying to finish up their meeting and once they finish it, it takes longer than expected. It's maybe half an hour. And eventually the CEO and uh, someone or also quite senior at the charity come and walk in the room and they're wearing masks. And none of us are wearing masks. At the time, the rules stated, I think that you didn't have to wear masks. This was, I'm not 100% sure, but I'm pretty sure it was just before the masks thing became fully mandatory. It was, it was a bit of a hazy area, but um, the particular charity that I volunteer at is very strict and has been ever since around October 2020. Like, I mean, even to this day, they, we still wear masks everywhere whenever I go there. And, um, and this is even during the, like, the whole of 2021, where there's been points where we don't need to wear them anymore. Um, the team, uh, the management team has been very adamant, no, let's just keep wearing them and just keep protecting ourselves regardless. In anticipation of ch uh, changes, which inevitably, I think there's going to be some more in the coming year, not to be negative, but if you look at everything that's going on with Omicron, etc., and uh, the current government and the way that they move and the manner that they move, it's pretty clear that we're probably heading for a, another lockdown or heightened restrictions in the new year. But anyway, CEO comes into the room with uh, another member of staff and they inform us that we all need to start wearing our masks. So we all have masks on us and we put the masks on and then they proceed to tell us that they've had their first case of COVID ever. And um, now they, you know, the person's safe, person's well, they're at home, but you know, obviously they have to really tighten things up and um, make sure that everyone's protected. And the CEO gave kind of like a 10, 15 minute speech about, you know, that situation, what they're gonna change, et cetera. And then she sort of finished by saying, and it's perfectly understandable if you wanna walk away, if you don't want to continue or start volunteering with us, we will completely understand and no hard feelings. And, you know, it was really decent of her to lay it all out for us and then be very transparent about everything. And uh, I could tell in the room, the mood was a bit of, of concern. There was concern in the room, obviously, because, you know, it's, it's a pandemic and people's lives are at risk, you know, so of course you're going to be concerned. But um, there was a bit of a shift. And I remember I sort of sat there for a minute or two. And I think I'd already made my mind up at that point. I was like, well, I'm here already. And, you know, every time you, my, my mindset was every time you leave the house, it's a risk. If I go to the store, it's a risk. If I go to the local park, it's a risk. If um, someone delivers something to my door, it's a risk. So how is this any different? The only difference is I'll be exposed to more people. That's the only difference. And the way I kind of thought about it at the time, and I still think this way, is that you can only kind of avoid risks for so long like eventually you just have to face the music and, and just put yourself out there and, and take the risk and that was my mindset back then and you know again i really wanted to help people i, I wanted to be there for people and 
contribute, especially at a time when it was really needed. In my mind, it kind of made me think, you know what, this is probably the best time to start volunteering at a time when people were probably quite scared about, you know, going out of their house and, you know, scared about everything. Because 2020, you know, say what you will, but I'm pretty sure many of us were pretty concerned back then. You know, we've, we've sort of got used to COVID now and I don't think people are as scared anymore or, you know, we've just kind of moved on with our lives. But there is always that little element of fear of like, oh, what if I catch it? What if this happens? What if that happens? You know, there's always that kind of mindset at the back of your mind. <laughs> mindset at the back of your mind. Thought at the back of your mind. There you go. Um, and that went, that's what went through my head. And I kind of felt like, yeah, my mind's made up. <coughs> so it comes to the next week. And uh, I turn up. And inevitably, out of six people, I think maybe one, two others, you know, continue to show up. And this is pretty normal, to be fair, for volunteering. You know, with volunteer places, especially in cities like Manchester, it inevitably attracts a lot of young people. And, um, you know, many of them come and go, you know, as and, as and when, because, you know, some of them are students, some of them get jobs or just don't have the time. Uh, some of them can only commit for, you know, a certain amount of time. And, you know, that's, that's completely fine. There's nothing wrong with that. It's, it's just how it is. But point is, there's a lot of turnover. So maybe, maybe you see one person one week and then you never see them again. Or you see someone for several months and then never see them again. It's a bit weird for people like me um, to stick around for as long as I have. Um, because in October of 2021, it marked a year of me volunteering. And um, I thought that was pretty cool. It flew by. I realized it sort of last minute. I didn't even think about it. And I was like, oh, huh, I've been here for a year. How about that? But um, when I look at, you know, a lot of the people that I've met over the past year through volunteering, um, very few people have stuck around. And that's just the nature of, of how it goes. But, you know, I guess my point with, with doing this whole podcast is to share stories with you, to share my kind of story of how I got into it, why I do it, why maybe you should consider doing it. And also to share my experiences, uh, you know, both the good, the bad and the ugly, everything in between. Um, but I wanted to kind of paint a picture of how I got into it and, and, you know, everything that's kind of happened in the beginning, in the middle and where we are today. So that was how I originally got into it. And as I say, I started as what's called a driver's mate. So it's basically just an assistant. And this particular charity uh, basically helps the homeless and um, people in poor income families and, and stuff like that. And um, so we get a lot of homeless people. We get a lot of people in very difficult, dire situations. And we provide a range of different services. You know, we, we provide, you know, uh, guidance, uh, help with you know, DWP and, and housing and, and just all sorts of stuff, all sorts of really good resources. But other than that, we're also a standard charity. So you've got like your charity shop with its furniture and stuff in it. Uh, there's a food club. We'll get back to that. Um, a standard retail store and a few other services. And also, you know, they do things like they, they feed the homeless and stuff. Um, they provide like a job club, like lots of really, really cool stuff. It's, it's a real nice, um, place to volunteer at. and that's why I've continued to, to volunteer because you know I've had a lot of opportunities there 
in a range of different areas and I've really been able to contribute in in a positive way and you know I really like being able to do that I like being able to give back to a city that um so far has, has given me so much you know I, I really I really do like Manchester I must say anyway that's the position that I started out with basically people buy purchase furniture in in our store and we deliver it to them and all of that furniture is collected from donations from sometimes it's from companies uh, but most of the time it's from people people like you and me who just decide to donate this furniture to charity and it's really decent of them often we will go and pick up that furniture um, and now i'm going to tell you about that job in detail so and i haven't even got to all the stories that i've got here to tell you but um i, I guess this is important to, get, to kind of give you a breakdown of a lot of the things that i do so being a driver's mate um from the get-go i realized that you need to have an, a lot of experience with heavy lifting and they did ask me about this when i first started and luckily i do have a lot of experience in that area i've, I've worked in in supermarkets carrying around you know heavy wine trolleys i've done morning deliveries you know loading stuff on and off a van and, and whatnot um i've worked in hospitality carrying lots of heavy things i've worked on farms uh, you know, just doing really physical manual labor. Um, I've never gotten any official qualifications or anything in that area, but I've done a lot of jobs that require you to uh, do manual lifting and know how to protect yourself and, and how to, how to do it. You know what I mean? And, um, I love, I love saying that like, and you know what I mean? Like as if you can turn around and be like, yeah, Chris, we know what you mean. I, I just assume that you know what I mean. Of course, you know what I mean. But yeah, sorry. <coughs> it's not often that I do videos or podcasts like this where I'm essentially just talking to myself and there's no response. Because normally I'm doing like live streams and, you know, people are responding back or something like that. But anyway, I digress. You have to know how to carry heavy objects. Um, if you don't, you can, I mean, I know it sounds really obvious, but it's important. You know, you have to know how to, for example, pick up a sofa, handle a washing machine, handle a fridge, handle a wardrobe, uh, all of these various different heavy things. You have to know how to pick up a box, a heavy box. There's a way to do all of these things, which I've learned over the years. But um, I would always say it's about technique. For anyone that thinks, oh, I, I can't lift heavy things, it's too heavy, I don't have the strength. I think, and I've learned that it's always about technique. Everyone has a base strength, which you can improve over time through just regularly lifting things. You know, you're going to get better, just like anything else in life. The more you do it, the better you're going to get. Um, and I think a certain degree of it is belief. You've got to believe in yourself. And I know this sounds weird to think about what? Believe in yourself? in terms of lifting things but yes you have to trust yourself if you don't trust yourself and your body and, and trust that you know how to do this you're going to panic and when you panic that's when there's problems and it's dangerous but of course you have to know your own strength as well um we always often go in groups of two so it'll be a driver and a driver's mate and um that's how we do the job 
and often there will be things that you you can carry by yourself they're heavy but you can carry by yourself but a lot of the time we will just you know help each other carry those things together because it's less effort that way it's it's not as heavy uh, you don't expend as much energy and you know it's like the old saying work smart not hard but you know sometimes it's just quicker to just lift up a heavy i don't know cabinet and just move it to another location than it is to wait for your um assistant or, or your your supervisor or whatever to come over you know sometimes it's just quicker but for a lot of things we that there is no discussion you absolutely need another person to help you things like really really heavy wardrobes that are like eight to nine foot or whatever um <laughs> washing machines especially heavy uh and and sofas and sofas vary sometimes they're really light but most of the time they're really heavy and inevitably the most difficult aspect to this job to be honest is getting these products into really tight spaces or up flights of stairs um i don't know if you've ever <laughs> attempted to move furniture up flights of stairs in tight spaces getting in getting them into flats but i can tell you now it is very difficult because just lifting up something is one thing and moving it from one space to another that's pretty straightforward you know you just got to have your base strength know how to handle it and just move it you know and you just got to take the brunt of the weight for for however long until it's done but the biggest and most challenging aspect of this particular job is navigating these areas and you know there's been many occasions even recently as 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 recent as last week when i did it um because i do it every monday um there will be spaces that are a surprise that will surprise both me and the drivers because we've been doing it for so long now where you're like there's no way we're getting that in and then but we get a feeling we need to we need to make an effort and try and get this in because there's a chance and like there was one here you go here's your first story there was a, a, a couple of sofas that i was delivering to a place uh the other day and i thought it was just the sofas but that was only half the job but <laughs> We, we, we've not even been there for like 15 minutes and we realized we're not getting the sofa in without taking the legs off of the sofa, which is pretty common. That's, you know, pretty common occurrence that you have to do that because the doorways are so narrow and um, you know, there's different ways to get sofas into, into houses and flats and such. But often what you have to do is like angle them in a particular way, put them upright, that kind of stuff. Um, but obviously it all depends on how large the gap is if it's not wide enough you just can't get it in but sometimes you can and you it will require you to take legs off and stuff and we got off to a pretty bad start um the driver that i was working with <laughs> unfortunately crushed his arm in in the doorway as we were trying to put the first sofa through don't worry he's fine um it often happens that you get like your arm trapped or your hand trapped or something horrible like that um, you just have to be careful but hey mistakes happen so he's sort of resting now i go tell him to just go chill for a second have a cigarette just stand there you know alleviate the pain and come back to me while i'm you know basically i've got a screwdriver and i'm basically taking off these uh legs off the bottom of the sofa and i finished doing it and then it's basically attempt number two to get the sofas in. And 
he leads it and I'm the one pushing because I prefer to generally carry a lot of the weight. I feel more comfortable with that. And I, I like to let the driver lead and, and kind of guide it. I just feel more comfortable doing that. So anyway, he's guiding it in, trying to pull it, pull it in and I'm pushing. And I basically, it's like stuck in the gap, but I quickly realized the only way this is getting in is if I shove it in with just brute strength. And this is not me trying to be like, oh, what does he think? He thinks he's Superman, thinks he's He-Man. No, I'm just saying sometimes <laughs> the only way you're getting it in is by just brute force. And that's what happened in this instance. It was just brute force of me trying to shove this sofa in. After about five minutes of doing that, we get the first one in. And then it's like the <laughs> slow realization, okay, we've got the first one in. Now we've got to get the second one in and we've got to repeat the process all over again. So we do it. The next sofa is a little bit smaller. It's not really problematic. We get it in, no worries. And then, <laughs> and it, this, this probably perfectly defines how difficult this job can be. So I basically get this uh, large wardrobe off the van and luckily it's got wheels, so we can at least move it along the street down to the door, which is only like a minute away. And, uh, you know, we, we easily get it through the front door. And the first thing that the, the person says, the person, the property owner says is, oh, yeah, can you get it up the stairs? And immediately my <laughs> the driver just turns to me and just goes, of course they want it up the stairs, because of course. And I just laugh and we both chuckle because we've been in this situation so many times when you go in these tiny flats where there's barely any space to get it through the front door, let alone up the stairs. And I just knew before I saw these stairs that it was going to be narrow. I just knew. You just have a feeling with these things sometimes. I take a quick gander at the stairs and inevitably it's really, really narrow, like unsafe narrow. And just to make it that little bit extra harder there's also a banister which i don't know why this is the case in flats you know of this when they're this tiny but i guess it's necessary for you know if, if older people are going to live in the property but there's like a banister on the middle of the of the of the wall going up um which again makes it even tighter now whoever is guiding at the bottom generally has the easier job because you're you're carrying the weight uh and the other person is guiding it and trying to get it up the stairs they've got the harder job really um it is like chuckle brothers to me to you kind of situation but very awkward because you're trying not to scratch the walls you're trying not to damage whatever you're trying to get up the up the stairs and you're trying to guide it now the problem was uh, my colleague was obviously still in pain from trapping his arms and stuff and he wants me to lead and I think I've only led a handful of times because I, as I say, always like to carry it as opposed to guiding it. But, you know, I respect him. You know, we work well together. And I was like, OK, I'm going to do my best. And inevitably, again, just to make it even harder, there's nothing to grip onto. We wear gloves, safety gloves that we're supposed to wear. They give us a bit more grip. But basically, if you've got nothing to hold, there's no way you're going you're gonna to be able to pull it. You know, you can you can deadlift things, which you're not always supposed to do. But, you know, uh, some situations you just have to deadlift things and you have to use sheer strength. And it sucks, but that's the only way you're going to move it. 
in this instance, um, deadlifting wouldn't have made a difference at all. Uh, and I still had to deadlift it a little bit just to get it up the stairs, like one by one. That was basically how we got it up because we couldn't slant it and just push it up. We had to kind of do a combination of slanting and deadlifting step by step. And the whole time I'm just like, it's going to fall, it's going to fall, it's going to fall. There's no room, there's no room. And what basically what we had to do was deadlift and twist and turn it and push it into the room to the left of, of me. And I'm desperately trying to push it. I can't see what I'm, what I'm doing because I can't see the floor. I can't see how close it is um, to the door frame or anything. And I'm, I'm, the whole time I'm like, oh, I don't want to drop it. I don't want to drop it on my colleague. Like it's, it's a bloody nightmare. And I've been in this situation. I can't count how many times. <laughs> uh, it's just part and parcel of delivering furniture, unfortunately. But I twisted it in with the help of my colleague and we managed to get it in somehow. And there, like we were sweating. That was our first job of the day. And it took us, oh, in total, probably about 35 minutes. Bear in mind, we've got God knows how many other jobs and collections to do for that day. And um, obviously the property, property owner was really happy with us. Like, thank you so much. Thank you so much. And, you know, we were happy because, look, it's a charity. We want to help people. That's why we're there, right? And uh, but I can tell how frustrated my uh, my colleague is because you know he's in pain from, from that injury and he's just like flabbergasted and hot and sweaty and it's just ah it's not a good situation to be in. And uh, the property owner's like, oh thank you so much guys, and he just turned around and was just like, that's our first job. Like, what more hell, fresh hell is there going to be? And inevitably there was just more and more hell the rest of the day. But you know. We just got on with it as best we could because that's all you can do, you know. But that's just to give you a snapshot of what that job is like. And uh, we'll come back to sharing some more stories about um, me assisting on the vans because I want to kind of talk to you a little bit about the other things that I've done at the charity away from the uh, driver's mate position. So when I'd been there for about maybe, I want to say, three or four months, something like that. Um, I'd said from the get-go that I was interested in doing a lot of different things and I have done. So for example, um, you know, as you guys know, I'm a musician. So I've done a few charity streams where I've played music to people either via Zoom uh, who are followers, patrons of the charity or clients of the charity. Like we played live music to them or we've had people on on the site listening to us play um, and we managed to entertain them. Like I remember vividly one time there was a homeless man that actually came in and uh, it was really nice. We were able to like, you know, he was able to sit there, sit on the couch, feel comfortable. We were able to play music with, and, and he was able to spectate and join if he wanted to. And it was a nice environment. I was really happy that I was able to um, entertain him and, and make him feel comfortable in, in that space. So that's an example of something that I've, I've gotten to do as well. Um, I often get asked to run uh, their food club because they have like a little mini, uh, I suppose, mini shop, I guess you could call it. But because of COVID, it's set up in a way where um, you're not allowed into the little shop and there's me and another helper who basically get the food items for you. 
Uh, and that's just the system that we've operated throughout the whole pandemic. And um, I think it's protected people a lot. You know, we're very careful with cleaning routines, constantly, you know, wiping over surfaces, changing our masks, cha wearing gloves, you know, all of that stuff and protecting the people that come in. And uh, you, you meet a lot of people through that who are, you know, um, as I say, homeless, street homeless, or they're in low income families. And um, you've got to use your brain. I mean, obviously, but you know, you've got to kind of think about what stuff is going to be most useful to them, like, especially like street homeless, you know, they don't have access to cooking facilities, they don't have access to, you know, a lot of different things, uh, refrigeration units, for example, so you've got to give them fresh food. Um, I think my best days running and, 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 and working in, this, in the food club have been the days when I've been able to give them free stuff. Um, because they, if you're homeless at this particular charity, you do get free stuff, but you get a set amount of items that you can get basically, um, with the credits that are given to you. Um, and it can be kind of limiting, especially if uh, you don't have access to cooking facilities <coughs> or refrigeration units. But, um, there's been days when we've had like, you know, fresh fruit and veg that's free that we can give out because, um, you know, it, it goes out of date quickly. So, so we don't kind of penalize people for that. Whereas everything else is, you know, has a long life date on it. So we kind of treat it as like, a, you know, like a, it's, it's like a standard store. Imagine, imagine you have like a, a mini shop, uh, but instead it's in a charity, you know, so it's kind of run in a, a unique way, but it's for people. And, um, just to explain a little bit more, um, the homeless people obviously don't pay. They get like a credit at this particular place that I, I volunteer at and um, they get those credits for free. And it's equivalent to like, I think 20 pounds, which covers the whole shop and everything and they can get whatever they want. And it's like 10 items. And um, I think for, for anyone who isn't homeless, um, they pay, they, they get, a smaller voucher but they still have to pay towards it like a little amount like maybe fiver and they get like 15 pound credit something like that um so it helps everyone it's and it's figured out in a way that it's fair to all but i've been especially happy on those days when i've been able to give out more and uh for instance i have a story here that connects to this particular um job that i've done here and there which is um there, there was a homeless african guy that came in and um, we, we, as I say, we get a lot of homeless people. We get a lot of people in dire situations. But this one st stood out to me and I remembered it because I could just see straight away the first time I met him, the kind of look of stress and frustration and fear and upset all in one. He was agitated. He was stressed, you know. I don't even think he was really in the right mindset to be getting food, you know, like he needed it, but you know, like when you're so stressed out and worried about things that the last thing you can do is eat or think about food. It was kind of like that sort of situation. And, you know, I helped him get things, but the whole time he's kind of murmuring about, Oh, well, what about this situation? I don't know what I'm going to do. Don't know what I'm going to do, you know, and I'm just kind of trying to reassure him and get his food shopping done for him. And then right at the end, he starts confiding in me and he tells me that, you know, he's, he's recently come to the country, maybe a couple of months ago, something like that at the time. And, um, 
you know, he, he's working with the local councils to find a place that he's trying to get up on his feet, but he's just kind of fallen on hard times, you know, and during COVID it's even much more difficult. And he, and he told me that he's sleeping rough at like the airport and other places, just sleeping rough, not knowing what to do and just very worried and concerned. And he said that he'd registered for housing and he was waiting to hear back, but he kept saying, what am I going to do? Hello windows. Uh, what am I going to do? When, when are they going to be able to help me? Um, I can't find anywhere. I don't know what's going on. You know, what's going to happen. And I just didn't have the answers for him. Unfortunately, I, you know, I didn't know what to say in that moment. I, I knew I needed to listen and I did. And I tried to reassure him as best I could. You know, I, I told him that, that you're on the system, like they're aware of you. They're, they're looking out for you. They're trying to find you a place try to take solace in that and and you know just keep showing up here and, and keep trying your best just keep persevering and things will work out and it felt like very empty words for me I, I you know I remember he walked away and I just felt so helpless and, and bad in that moment you know I really wished I could have done something to help him fast forward three weeks later and he comes in and I don't know if he recognizes me or remembers me probably not but he's got a bit of a skip in his step. He's got like a fresh haircut. He's, he's looking, he's looking good. You know, he's, he's clearly got some new clothes. He's looking, he's vibing. He's looking good. And he's just in a good mood. <coughs> and I asked how he was and he was like, yeah, I'm doing well. Thank you. And he's just really kind of, yeah, I, I don't think he remembered me, but it made me so happy to see that he was happy and doing well. And that's one of the, the biggest kind of pluses of volunteering that you get is you get these situations where you, you help people over time and you see them prosper and, and get into better situations. For example, there was a lady that dropped by um, our volunteering space last week and she'd been homeless and she had a whole story and <coughs> she rolled up in a car with her friend with a ton of donations <coughs> excuse me sorry still dying from this illness touch wood i don't she must have had about i want to say 50 50 packages i think it was clothes bits and bobs maybe toys and um and food as well just a, a whole car full to the brim with stuff and she starts talking to some of our staff and she said, Hey, yeah, I just wanted to give back. I'm in a better position now. You helped me when I was homeless last year. And I think one of the people there remembered her and they started having a long conversation about that. And that again, another thing made me really happy to see that, you know, because it gives you hope. It makes you realize no matter what kind of position you're in, whether you're street homeless or, in a low income family and, and you're hoping that things will get better. They do get better. They can get better. You just got to hang in there as best you can and, and, you know, make use of those services that are available out there, such as your local charities, because there are people out there and services out there for you and places that want to help, you know, try not to lose sight of that. Try to remember that there are always people out there that care and want to help you and want to be there for you. So I just want to say that and, and make a note of that real quick. But yeah, um, 
I see a lot of those people come in regularly and it just makes me really happy to be able to contribute to their lives in a positive way, to know that I've put some good into the world, you know, it's, it's very easy to, to take from this world and, and, and take things for granted, to take what you have for granted. And we're all guilty of it, you know? Um, but I suppose, again, the overarching message of, of why I'm doing this episode, and believe me, I've, I've wondered a lot whether or not I should do this episode. I thought maybe doing this episode would be in bad taste. I thought maybe, you know, it would kind of make it seem like I'm trying to vie for uh, attention and, and, and be like, oh, wow, look at me. Aren't I good? I did some volunteering. Pat me on the back. But and I've had people tell me that, no, you should share your experiences. It's positive. Maybe it will encourage and inspire other people to, to do it and take part. And I think this is the biggest reason why I'm, I'm doing this episode and, and sharing this with you, because I really want anyone out there that's listening who might be interested or is thinking about doing volunteering. Absolutely. Please do consider it. It will be one of the best things you ever do with your life. And the most amazing thing about it is it's always beneficial no matter how small it is whether you're doing a few hours a week or several days a week you are changing people's lives for the better and i think that's a noble pursuit and perhaps maybe one of the most noble pursuits out there i'm so sorry by the way my voice is just dying by the minute maybe this wasn't the best time to do this but I was determined to do an episode today and get an episode out for you. And this episode has been a long time coming. I actually thought about doing a, um, <clears throat> a YouTube series where I would discuss all of these. And um, I shelved the idea because of what I said before. I, I thought maybe it was in bad taste or maybe it would just not convey the right message. Um, but there's a lot of experiences that you have through volunteering because you meet so many people in so many different situations, so many different backgrounds, and it really gets you thinking. It makes you reflect on your own life, makes you more grateful for what you have. It helps you to put things into perspective. And I think it kind of forces you to get the best from yourself. You know, one of the things I neglected to mention is that in those situations, for instance, when we're working on the vans, there are many situations where we probably won't be able to get those, you know, that furniture into those properties, <clears throat> but we give it our absolute best. We do everything we can to make sure we absolutely gave our best effort to get that furniture in there. Because sometimes, you know, you're delivering to people. You know, I remember one guy we delivered to, it was literally, he'd been street homeless maybe a month prior to getting that place. And he was, he was an older gentleman. He was in his fifties. Maybe um, you could tell he'd been on the streets for a while and he was so excited to just have somewhere to be and to live. He was so grateful and he got excited and we were delivering all these things into his room. And he was like, Oh, do you think it would look better like this? Or maybe I could put something here. And we took a minute just to have a chat with him and, and, and give him some advice about, you know, how he could lay the place out. Because here's another element to this. There are a lot of jobs that you do as, as part of volunteering, but perhaps the biggest 
thing that you do is you have conversations with people. Um, one of the things that the CEO says at the place that I do volunteering at, she says, we're all about giving people their dignity, about making them remember that they are human beings. And just because they've fallen on hard times doesn't mean they deserve to be treated with anything other than respect. You know, one thing she said that really hit me one time, because she does these regular meetings and has done since the beginning of, um, of, of, of the pandemic, um, where she gives like information and updates about COVID and all sorts of stuff. <clears throat> but she said, one thing you should always remember, and I think this is important for life as well, with anyone that you're dealing with, whatever situation they're in, just look into their eyes. Look straight into their eyes. Don't look at their clothes or, you know, whatever. Just look at their eyes and see the human being, see their soul and talk to that person. You know, show them respect and show them love and warmth and compassion. And that's something I try to do all the time, whether it's with volunteering, with family, with friends, whoever, you know. I always try my very best to make sure I'm, I'm being nice and, and showing people my absolute, the best side of me, no matter what I'm going through in life, because <clears throat> this world needs compassion. We need good people. You know, the world needs a lot more of that. And I think sometimes it's not really appreciated just, just how important that is. You, know, you think sometimes the worst day you ever had in your life, worst days you've experienced and you know, sometimes someone will come along and just hug you or, or be there with you, sit with you and just make you feel better. And that stuff is the sort of stuff you cherish, you know, forever. You cherish those people and you cherish those experiences because it reminds you that, you know, there is such a thing as, you know, faith and humanity. There is such a thing as a good soul, a good person. There are things to live for and, there are good people out there and there are reasons to live. There are reasons to continue going on. And, and, you know, once you've experienced that, share the love, you know, that's what all those great songs are talking about. You know, you've got to share the love and share the kindness amongst the world and, and make that one of the main things that you do in life. Cause Lord knows the world needs it. But anyway, enough of me going on and on. Um, let's share some more stories. I want to get this one out of the way because it's very depressing. <clears throat> and uh, it was the first time that I got back from a job and it kind of stuck with me. And there's a lot of um, deliveries that we do through the work that we do that, um, that give you that feeling. You, you get back from it and you sit down and, and you, it just, you sit, you sit and reflect and, and you start realizing the, the situations that different people are in and, and you, you want to help them, but you just feel powerless. We were delivering to this particular gentleman who's an old guy, well into his eighties. He could, he could barely move. He had a walker of, you know, a support worker, the whole works. And um, he couldn't articulate himself very well because he could barely lift his head up and, uh, um, you know, he was drooling and, and stuff like that. Like he was in dire straits, you know, it was difficult. And uh, we came into this property 
to deliver a sofa and um i was not expecting to be in a position like this it was the first time i you know i'd seen some places that were a bit of a state and, and whatnot but this was quite alarming and i walked out feeling a combination of anger and upset and a few other things i walked in with my colleague we get through to the um the living room and the gentleman is sitting on the existing sofa and um oh, can i say this how can i say this in a good way I don't think there is a good way I can say this. There were stains on the sofa. Let's leave it at that. There were, there, was, there were stains on the sofa and no one had cleaned them up. I'm going to save this person's dignity just in case the off chance that he ever would be listening to this. Um, there's no way that you know that would happen but still i just i wasn't even sure if i'd share this story but there were stains on the sofa and i i remember the first thing i thought was how can this be this person has a support worker how is this allowed to happen how is this uh, enabled like I, I didn't understand i was shocked and upset and and really concerned for this man because i was like what well, why is this allowed to happen how is he allowed to be in this position now we're not responsible for that we're you know we have to report stuff like that and, and we did but you know we're not responsible for that <clears throat> but you still feel a sense of responsibility when you go in a place like that our job was to bring in a sofa and move the old sofa but there was nowhere to put the old sofa and we spoke to his support worker on the phone and they were very the best way i could explain it was nonchalant like oh yeah just dump the sofa over there and everything's fine and that was when i got annoyed because i realized okay this support worker knows the setup of this place they know that this man is probably you know amongst stains and stuff and not comfortable and has to live with this and they're allowing that to happen and that got me very angry and i remember saying that to my to my colleague and i was i was really distraught about that but i remember that a lot of the job was we had to move this sofa away but there was nowhere to put it so we kind of like put it upright and pushed it to the corner of the room but it was just obtruding his view like it was horrible to just have a big sofa there with old stains on it upright just sitting there like what are they going to do with that you know but that's what we were told to do so we did that <clears throat> and then we noticed that there were some brackets um no sorry there wasn't any brackets left so okay i should explain so um the old sofa had brackets on um sometimes when, when you've got someone who's um, elderly they might have a sofa that's raised off the ground uh, and that means that they've got brackets that the sofa has been put on and you can adjust them upwards and downwards basically and um 
but we'd moved those brackets away and we delivered the sofa in, in into the property and the guy sat down and it was a really nice new sofa and but what we quickly realized is he couldn't get up because of the nature of his condition he wasn't able to get up again uh so we knew instantly that we needed to um well first of all help him up um i think he went and made a cup of tea and he got himself comfortable while we um basically put the brackets down from the old sofa and then attached this new sofa to it and started working on it and and i think in total we were there for like an hour um and my my colleague didn't really need my help because it was more or less a one-man job he just needed me to like hand him things every now and again and slightly move things but basically he didn't need me there so i was just there standing there in this really depressing place witnessing all of this and feeling helpless we finally got it done we walked out we sat in the van and my colleague said like is everything all right and i just told him what i told you guys which is that i just felt so upset and angry at that situation and you know he said like yeah we'll, we'll communicate this information to you know to the charity and, and to this to the support worker but you know it's, it's not up to us like you know it's up to them to sort that out and it made me so angry and upset to know that that sort of thing happens out there and this is not a knock on support workers because i know there's so many you know i know support workers who are amazing people and go out of their way to help people and and you know the really are unsung heroes anyone who works in support services you know whether that's for the elderly or for children or whatever like you really are unsung heroes and i applaud you for everything that you do because it is a very hard job um but unfortunately there are a small few a handful of people that that let everyone down by being neglectful and this is one of those situations and i was so incensed by it and and felt so helpless and I honestly, afterwards, I, I wondered if I would keep going back. I, I thought, man, I, I don't know if, because it sat with me for a few days. I went home and I really felt concerned about that. I, you know, it, it, it's, it stuck around with me like a bad smell or, you know, you know, sometimes you have a bad nightmare and you can't think about anything else. It was exactly like that, but it was real. It really happened. And I just kept going over and over in my mind about it. And uh, I, again, you know, like I said earlier, I thought about doing a video on it, but I felt like maybe it was the wrong thing to do. You know, I, I didn't, well, I didn't want to make light of a situation like that. Not that you could, but I didn't want to kind of, I didn't want to talk about that and, and make content out of it. Like, oh, that that time when this happened, that felt wrong to me. That felt wrong. And I still feel uncomfortable talking about it now, but I wanted to tell this story in conjunction with other stories from volunteering to give you an understanding of what it's really like. Because as I said in the very beginning, there's the good, the bad and the ugly. There's funny stories, which I'll get to later. There's difficult things that happen and then there's the worst of the worst. And that for me was probably the first time that I went into a property and walked out and really questioned if I was going to continue doing it. Ultimately, I decided to continue because I thought that it, it, it's up to people like myself who, who have the time and the ability to do this to 
to kind of suck it up and, and, and get on with things, you know, and, and do my very best to help people. You know, it's sitting around feeling bad and, um, and, and stuff isn't going to change anything, but I can change things. I can help people by doing things for them. And that made me think, yeah, I need to continue doing this regardless of the situations I find myself in or whatever difficult um, scenarios I find myself in. It's up to me to do my very best to help these people. And that's why I kept volunteering from that point onwards. Uh, I'll share one other um, more serious situation now, which, you know, given the previous story, I don't really know if it's any better. There's a guy who's a regular client of ours who um, I'll try not to give too many details away. But what I can say is this person is a hoarder and I've delivered to his place many, many times. It's the sort of thing where when we pull up to the road that where his, his, um, his property is, I immediately know where we're going and I'm like, Oh no. And it's, you know, it's always the sort of thing where the driver doesn't want to go either. And the problem is, right, <clears throat> when you've got people that are hoarding to this degree, <coughs> it's a health and safety hazard. And really and truthfully, my personal belief is we shouldn't be selling these products to them. We should kind of refuse to sell them things because we know <coughs> there's no room for this stuff. And this stuff could potentially hurt them. Um, we do our very best to kind of clear out the situation, you know, clear out any old stuff or whatnot, but to really clear this property, you'd need to get a team of experts in there and then clear the property. And it would take probably the better part of a week to do. <clears throat> the very first time I went in this property, we went through the front door. Normally we go through the back, but <clears throat> this first time we went through the front, and basically we were supposed to take out an old sofa and bring in a new one. And as soon as I walked into this gentleman's property, I looked in the living room and I saw what I can only describe as maybe like seven or eight layers of junk on top of each other that went right up to the wall. Um, and there was like a tiny bit of floor space that this guy was living in because um, it was difficult for him to get up the stairs and everything. And he just had this small space for a sofa, but we had to take out the old one to, to deliver the new one. And he didn't seem too bothered about the old sofa. He's like, yeah, just dump it out front and everything. Someone else will get rid of it. And I just felt like really concerned for this man because you know, it's my first time delivering to this property. I didn't know anything about the situation. I didn't know that we've regularly uh, delivered stuff to this guy. Um, at this point, I'm just like, oh my God, like, is, is he got, has he got help assistance? Does, do people know he's living like this? I was, I was really worried. And <clears throat> then I started seeing this guy in our store a few times and, um, we kept delivering to his place, but we go via the rear entrance and there were things there that had been there for years. There was a guy I remember that I was delivering with who doesn't regularly deliver on the vans, but this one time he did um, just to cover because he now does a different job. Um, but he, he basically had come with me to the back of the property to sort of observe and see if we could actually deliver this stuff because 
you know, there was a space issue. There just wasn't enough space to actually deliver this stuff into the property. And it meant that we'd need to remove stuff. And every time you go into this property in the backyard, there's just old sofas and kitchen equipment and bathroom equipment and old chairs. And, you know, there's things that I've delivered to the property before that have just sat there since the day we delivered them and haven't moved. Um, and this guy who was with me remarked that there was like a table and chairs in the backyard that he delivered like seven years prior, like no exaggeration. He you know, years ago when he'd done the job, the delivery job, he delivered to this property and he delivered that specific set of table and chairs, which probably hadn't moved since that day, which is crazy to think about. <clears throat> I remember one time, the one and only time I've actually been in the property. Um, oh, sorry, I tell a lie. The second time I've been in, but from the back entrance, because normally, as I say, we just deliver it to the back and it gets dealt with or, or doesn't. Um, but we delivered, we had to move something out of the kitchen and then bring in the, the replace, the, the equipment that was going to replace it. And there was just no room to move. Like my colleague was like, hey, have you got any space to move back? And I'm like, no, like there's nowhere. And eventually I think the, the property owner moved a little bit and there was, we had some wiggle room and we managed to just about force in, I think it was a fridge freezer. Um, luckily it was light really, but yeah, there was just barely any space to get it in. And I remember just feeling this like real sadness, just looking at his dire kitchen and, everything about that place was a health is a health hazard and i really don't understand why we don't help him or what the situation is there like i try not to get too involved i, I remark on these things and everything but like it's not ultimately you know my place or position to do so but i don't think that we should be delivering to places like that i think if anything the best thing we could do is to to not deliver and to report that to some sort of authority and, and say like hey this is unsafe this person needs help but i don't know um let's bring this to a more positive place because it's not all doom and gloom there are a lot of and you know i covered a couple of positive stories in the beginning of this there are positive times and this is one of the reasons why i keep doing it because there's times when people are really thankful and <laughs> really enamored and happy with you when, when you're able to help them out in a big way. One of the very first jobs I ever did, this was about a month in the first month, went to a property and um, basically the mother was at the top of the stairs and we were delivering equi um, equipment, uh, furniture into the living room. And she, I believe, had like a bad hip or a bad back. Like she couldn't move very easily. Um, and she was at the top of the stairs. And from what I understand, she was bed bound or just not able to move around. But she was able to communicate with us at least. Um, and she had two daughters, one of whom was, I want to say 12, 13. And the other one was probably about seven. And they were really excited. But here's the thing. The younger daughter is really excited to see us because she realizes we can take out the old furniture and bring in new furniture. And she's just excited to see us. You know, she's a bubbly kid. The teenage daughter, her demeanor was completely different. 
I really have ever seen teenagers that look so adult. To me, I straight away could tell that this little girl had to kind of grow up quicker than her years to look after both her mother and her and her younger sister. It was that kind of situation where she was almost motherly to her younger sister because she had to be. And even when she was talking to us, um, I mean, obviously she's, you know, she's a teenage girl, so she's probably just, you know, there's two fully grown adult strangers, you know, it's not, you're not going to be comfortable in that situation. But um, she was kind of on her guard, like just very serious and everything. And I was like, okay. And they needed us to, to move the sofas out of the place. So we did, it was pretty straightforward. And um, they were really happy that we were able to do that for them. And we brought in the new sofas and suddenly the little girl was bouncing up and down, really happy. The mother was really happy. But then I saw the elder sister smile and she opened up a little bit and had a conversation with us and was really happy. And that just made me so, so happy. I looked at that situation and I was like, you can tell this girl has it really hard. You know, she's, she's having to sort of be strong for everyone. She's having to grow up faster than her years, take on more responsibility than a teen should, should have to take on. <clears throat> and here's a little thing that makes her world just that little bit better, a little bit easier, nicer furniture. And, you know, <clears throat> all the stuff has been removed. And she smiled and I don't know for sure, but to me, it was the sort of smile of a person that probably hasn't smiled a lot in a long time. That was the vibe I got. And it was so nice to see her smile and to be happy. And I walked away and I can't remember if it was me or the driver that said this, but we sat down in the, in the uh, van after we'd locked up. And I, I think it was me, actually. I turned to the driver and I just said, that's what it's all about. And he nodded and he went, yeah, so glad we were able to help them out. <coughs> that's just a small example, excuse me, of um, some of the, you know, more positive times we were able to help people out. <clears throat> um, <coughs> my gosh, am I dying from this cough or what? I've been sick now for like five or six days and it's just not gotten any better I've, I've taken ibuprofen i've taken um what's that thing sudafed sudafed <clears throat> it's like a, my mum calls it allergy when it's at the back of your throat allergy it's lurking in there allergy hopefully i get better soon i hope this has not uh ruined your experience of the podcast i do apologize for my um <coughs> excuse me coughing and uh lack of a good voice <coughs> oh my gosh i hope i hope i'm able to finish this oh dear okay you know i like to keep these things authentic i thought about editing my coughs out and stuff but i like to keep things fresh and authentic this is as it is me sitting in my room talking to you guys about my volunteering experiences. <clears throat> oh dear, okay. The washing machine. 
I've written these down. You can see on this piece of paper right here, I've got all these different stories that I thought of in the run-up for this episode that I've had planned for some time, but I never thought I'd actually do. The washing machine. Now, I've told this story on my live stream before. Um, it's one of those days where, so, you know, sometimes in life, everything that can go, go, go wrong will go wrong. It was one of those scenarios. <clears throat> it was about 11 a.m. in the morning. Me and my colleague pulled up in the van in a residential district, quite close to a main road, like a minute away from a main road. And we park in the middle of the street, expecting not to be there any longer than about 10 minutes. Okay, that's why we didn't fully park up. 11 a.m. You would assume everyone's gone to work at this point in a residential area. Um, so we just left the van there in the middle of, of this uh, residential road. We'll come back to that. So we had to deliver a washing machine. That's it. Replacement washing machine because, um, or was it we had to, we had to deliver one or, or pick one up? I think we had to, I can't remember if we had to deliver it or pick it up. I'm pretty sure we had to pick it up. Yeah, it was broken. Um, so we were going to test it out and, and see what, yes, we were going to test it out and see if, if there was a problem with it because the, the client had told us that um, basically every time she tried to operate the washing machine, um, it would overload with water. And uh, when we walked in, Bear in mind, not, neither of us have any official training or expertise as it pertains to um, fittings, plumbing, anything like that. We know nothing about this stuff. My, my colleague, I think he's in his 50s or something, uh, he's, or maybe 40s, actually. Um, he's got a bit of experience, but you know, he, does, he doesn't really know what he's doing. It's just novice experience. <clears throat> and he remarks that it's probably a problem with the fitting. Uh, it's probably not been fitted properly, properly, and it's not actually that the washing machine's broken. It's probably that it just hasn't been fitted properly. <clears throat> but we're going to take it away anyway. The lady then asks us, oh, hey, if it's that problem, like, this is my, my colleague's first mistake. He shouldn't have said anything. He should have just been like, okay, we're taking this. Um, but she asked us to test out this, this, um, this fitting, see if we could... Uh, fix it maybe and then we wouldn't have to take it away and maybe it'll be fixed right <clears throat> and obviously as i said before we're always trying to help people out and deliver a positive experience to people we want to help people out we want to go that extra mile that's what volunteering is all about and charities is all about it's about going that extra mile for people um because you know if you if you're gonna help people out you should go the full length but as i reiterate now we are not professional plumbers. We have no knowledge about washing machines. We start tinkering with this washing machine, or to put it more accurately, my colleague starts tinkering with it. And immediately, it starts flooding everywhere. And uh, we can't stop it. We got, we sort of eventually stopped it, but what had happened was 
the pump where the water comes out immediately starts splashing water everywhere. It's like, it is like slapstick comedy. My colleague quickly grabbed it, shoved the, uh, the pipe into, um, this is the pipe that's at the back of the washing machine, quickly shoved it into the, uh, the sink that's nearby, but the sink is quickly rising like because there's already dirty dishes in there you know whatever um it's not a viable it's like a temporary quick five second solution while we figure out what to do next and uh i don't know what to do in this situation i see that there's a nearby window right next to it i figure okay maybe i can open the window up and he can shove the pipe out there and the water will okay it's going to run outside of the flat because we're at the top of a set of flats basically but um at least it will go somewhere as opposed to in the flat you know all over the um, kitchen floor which is where it had been going previously um but it doesn't stretch that far and this woman comes out of nowhere with a massive like box like the sort of box that you'd put like old clothes in in storage like a storage box uh, or maybe you'd put like a i don't know this is a, a gigantic storage box plastic gigantic storage box and okay that's gonna buy us a bit more time but but my my colleague remarks like it, it's not going to last forever you know we need to figure out a better because where are we going to put this water can't pour it in the sink sink is full so where are we going to put it where are we going to put this water bloody nightmare <clears throat> and he keeps telling this woman you need to turn the water off you need to turn the water off now going back to the beginning of this story we should have always turned the water off that was number one if we're gonna if you're gonna muck around with like washing machines or anything to do with water, turn the water off. Okay. That's number one. If, you, if there's a takeaway you get from this story, that's your takeaway. Turn the water off. But anyway, um, we couldn't find it. And I'm standing there powerless, not knowing what to do. Cause I've helped my colleague, you know, we're, we're you know, I think at one point um, I took ownership of the box with the water while he was trying to help her find the water. But initially I'm standing there like not knowing what to do. And he's not giving me any assistance because he doesn't know what to do. He's communicating to her, you need to turn the water off because it's her flat. She would know where the water pump is, but she doesn't know. And she's like, I don't know what to do. And she's stressing out and she's really freaking out. And normally I would reassure someone in that situation and be like, don't worry, we're going to figure this out. But I really didn't know how we were going to figure that out because I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know where the water pump is. I don't know where to start looking for that. I got no idea. I can't figure that again. I don't have plumbing experience. I, I have zero experience with this. So I'm literally just a, a bystander, just standing there, not knowing what the hell to do. She turns to me while she's freaking out going, what do I do? Where do I go? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm sorry. Turn off your water pump. So then eventually um, my colleague tells me to, to pick up the, the, the box and, and take over the water while he goes and finds the water um to, to the pump to shut it off or the valve i should say and i then i'm sort of standing looking at this massive storage box that's really rapidly filling up with water it's getting heavier i don't know where i'm gonna put it i'm sort of contemplating like hey can i maybe somehow pour it out the window but then i've got to figure out a place to put the pipe and already i'm, I'm freaking out because i'm like i don't know what to do like, i'm keeping it myself calm but i'm like i don't know where to to put this this is not a, an easy to figure out situation 
Uh, and then thankfully, my colleague had found the valve and turned off the water. And so we all kind of just stopped for a minute and just go, okay, let's rest. Let's figure this out. And, um, you know, they, they, my colleague and the flat owner kind of quibbled a little bit over, you know, what to do next and everything. But ultimately we, we solved the situation. We took away the, uh, the washing machine. <coughs> I should add, it's a washing machine. We're in a tiny flat with narrow stairs. Remember what I said about narrow stairs? Now you think a wardrobe is heavy. <laughs> That's nothing compared to a washing machine. And a washing machine is easy to get to a property. It's heavy, but it's pretty straightforward. Getting it down a flight of stairs though, dangerous, heavy, um, nothing to grip on. Our hands are wet from the uh, debacle we just had a moment ago. It's really dodgy. I, I at several points thought I was going to drop the washing machine. And if I would have dropped it, I would have dropped it on my colleague. So it was really dangerous. And at several points, I really felt like I was going to drop it. it you know, <coughs> it felt like a weight that normally wouldn't be an issue for me, but because it was so slippery, I felt I could drop it at any moment. And it was really doing a wonder on my back, really hurting my back. But we managed to get it down the bottom of the stairs. And uh, we knew we needed to go basically to the van to get a, um, uh, what do you call it? A, uh, I think we'd either brought a little, um, what do they call it? A truck, truck lift. I should know what this is. There's, there's like a little tool that you use that you slip under heavy goods and you move them along. It's going to kill me that I haven't remembered. Pump truck. We had a pump truck. Um, I think we had it with us already. You remember I said that the uh, van had been parked in the middle of the road? Yeah. Well, uh, we both forgot about that <laughs> because we'd so preoccupied with this nightmare of a flooding kitchen. We hadn't even considered that, you know, We'd been there for about 40 minutes and had left this van in the middle of, again, I reiterate, a residential road. It wasn't a main road, like in the middle of the road or something. It was a residential road. And it's like 11 a.m., 11, close to 12 p.m. So why are all these people here? But basically, I come out of the flat. I'm standing there. And there's a woman that shouts and says, there he is. There's the guy. Because quickly they figure out that it's we're the owners of this van. And he's trying not to uh, to sort of get into any arguments when there's this big queue of, I kid you not, like 10 people crowded around this this van, um, effing and jeffing, just swearing at him, like, why are you in the middle of the road? What the hell are you doing? Oh, you can't park here. Oh, you can't park there, son. <laughs> um, just like really angry. And another thing I should add is that the name of the charity and the phone number of the charity are on the side of this van so they've all called up and have complained i don't know how many times like swearing at the charity like get this guy out get this guy out in the middle of the road what's he doing they have no idea what we've just been through they're just concerned because you know they need to get their cars out which i understand but you know i don't think the swearing and aggressiveness was necessary on their part but i digress um and my colleague keeps it together very calmly because he has to pull up the tail lift and get the car started, sorry, the van started, also while dealing with a phone call from our office with the people very angry at us, like, hey, you need to move, you need to get out of the way. And then there's like a, literally a queue of cars that also 
had the audacity to beep at this guy while he's moving the van. And it's like, he, look, the guy's moving the van. Like he's not a musician, uh, sorry, musician, magician. Uh, give him a, a couple of minutes to sort this out and then you'll be on your way. <coughs> but I guess people never necessarily consider other people's situations. You know, some, some people only care about themselves. Um, but my colleague kept it together, you know, props to him for doing that uh, for not buckling under the pressure I'm not so sure I, I would have been as courteous to all the people shouting and screaming at me but I digress and that's how we were able to get out of that situation and funnily enough a week later we ended up <laughs> me and him on the same job same place delivering this washing machine up the flight of stairs this time we got it in safe to say that was a very straightforward easy uh scenario and, and we actually didn't have any issues that time but it was just one of those situations where everything that could go wrong did go wrong and all we could do was laugh about it really it was just crazy and my final story for today my final story which <clears throat> happened last christmas is the mother at christmas and I was on a van with a guy who was unprofessional. Luckily, he's, he's now left the charity, but um, very unprofessional guy who I didn't like doing jobs with. And as I say, he's left now. And I think it's all for the best because his attitude does not belong in a charity where you're supposed to help people. Um, <clears throat> as I say, we always go out of our way for people. And this guy was just more concerned with I don't know, getting back to the depot on time, getting his lunch. I don't know. I, I really don't care. I was just annoyed at his attitude because it's the only person I've ever worked with that had a poor attitude. Everyone else was, is awesome. And I've always had good experiences with, but this guy, you know, I had bad experiences with. And this is a story that as I think about it, it's actually pretty big. Um, so what happened was we're told to deliver to this property and we're delivering maybe I want to say like 10 different things. So clearly this person has just moved in, but we don't know anything about this property. <clears throat> I immediately see that they have like these white bars on the side of the doors, uh, which I kind of reasoned is, is for elderly people, um, you know, like assistance bars. And you sometimes I, I've rarely seen them in London, but I see them a lot in certain parts of Manchester. Generally, they're on like bungalows or, or properties for the elderly. So I assumed, OK, maybe this person is, is elderly and, you know, has trouble getting in and out of the property. Um, what the hell are they going to do with like, I don't know, 10 pieces of heavy furniture outside their house? How are they going to move that in by themselves? What are they going to do? And I said this to my colleague and he just kept saying, oh, well, this is going to make us late. It's not our problem. Like, you know, they, they've got to figure that out themselves. And I was like, no, we need to wait until this person comes and then we need to figure out what we're going to do for this person. We can't just leave them with all this stuff. And yes, it's unfair. It's not right. And I was kind of putting my foot down, which is a bit weird for me because I'm just a volunteer at this point in this situation. I have zero authority in this situation. Um, but I still felt like I needed to stand up to my colleague because, you know, it's not, it's not fair. And he listened to me in fairness to him. And um, we waited for a bit longer and he kept complaining the whole time. And he, and he was caught and he finally called the woman 
And apparently she sounded really stressed and said, I'll be there in five minutes or 10 minutes. And he said, oh, if she's not here in five, I'm leaving. And I just get out at this point. I'm just so annoyed at this guy. And I wait. And then I see them walking down the road. And I'll never forget this. There was a woman, maybe in her 30s, and she's got two sons. One's a bit younger, one's a bit older. And she clearly looks very stressed. And I don't know this to be the case for certain, but I think she was a single parent mum because I remember that same look in my mum's eyes when she was a single parent mum. Uh, it's that kind of look of like absolute just stress and worry, trying to get things done whilst everything else around you is seemingly falling apart and you've got to look after your kid or in this case, two kids. I recognise that look. I just knew that this woman needed our help. And I was all for helping her because that's what we're supposed to do. It's a charity. That's what you're supposed to do. So I was very ready to help this lady. And uh, she explains, um, yeah, we've just moved into this property. Uh, When we walk in there, like it's literally like it's, there's a lot of refurbishment that needs to be done. There's wallpaper falling down. Like it's, it's a, it's a sty, but um, she's just moved. She's just got it. I don't, again, I don't know that she didn't have like a husband there or something. Um, but she, we moved all this stuff up the stairs and it was really heavy and awkward to get up, but we got it up there. But there was these two really large packages at the bottom of the stairs, which had nothing to do with us, but they were really large and they were light. But she said she, there was no way of her being able to get them up the stairs. And that's when I kind of knew that she's probably a single parent because if she's got no one to help her get those up the stairs, then she's probably on her own. And obviously she can't, you know, she's got these young kids, but I think they're like 10 and five. They're not going to be able to help her get these packages up the stairs, even though they're light, you you need some people that are adults like to help you. She needs at least another adult to help her get them up the stairs. And we immediately just, I said, yeah, no problem. And my colleague, funnily enough, actually was willing to help, which surprised me because I thought he'd complain. But I think because we'd already done that stuff, we might as well, you know, and we got these packages up the stairs. They were really light. And I turned around to the lady and um, I saw in her in her face, she just looked so relieved and so, so, so happy that I'd actually... I was able to to help her in that scenario. And I just said, Hey, yeah, no, no worries. Like, come on, it's, it's no big deal. Like, this is what we're here for. You know, it's a pleasure to help you. She was like, no, thank you. Thank you so much. Like this means so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And it really just made me happy. Like in that moment, I realized that this is why we do volunteering. This is why we help people because, you know, people aren't always able to help themselves. And you're that, that olive branch, that link, that thing that can help people sometimes get on their feet or, or just help them along a little bit. So they're in a, a little bit of better of a situation than they were before. And uh, I remember just as I was walking out, I was like, yeah, no worries. Merry Christmas. Cause it was three, four days before Christmas, I believe. And uh, she, she was over the moon is putting it lightly. And that's the story I wanted to leave you with today. Um, if you're considering volunteering, doesn't matter how many hours you can do a few hours a week here and there i'd really recommend that you you consider doing it because you're literally changing people's lives for the better 
and it will be one of the best things that you do not just for them but for yourself because obviously you feel you feel better when when you help people but it's one of the biggest things in my life amongst all the different things that i do in my life it's the one thing that i can truly say i'm most proud of because i always get the same feeling i always feel like no matter what i do with my life i'm i'm at least putting some good into the world through, through that not to say I'm, I'm putting bad into the world elsewise but for me that feels really meaningful and i try to find that same level of meaningfulness in everything else i do but with this thing it's truly a thing that um i feel is needed in society i think we should all consider doing a bit of volunteer work here and there even if it's just for a few hours a week i, I honestly feel like there's a lot of value in that and um i implore you if, if you've never done volunteering before please consider doing it maybe make it a a new year's resolution for next year something to consider doing and um yeah i love volunteering i think i'll i'll always do some sort of volunteering but there's my story there's a few stories of um of, of my experiences volunteering and, and the reasons why i do it and why i continue to do it and um like i said yeah i honestly think you should you should consider doing it it will be one of the best things that you ever do and um i hope you enjoyed this episode i know it's a departure from what i normally do but i think you can expect to see more of episodes like this in in the future not to say i won't be doing the um the the interviews because i will but i also want to do these episodes too so i can test myself and and share with you a, a slightly different version of the christian Reed podcast but something that i think might have some value at least um please let me know if there's topics that you wish for me to cover in the future. I'm more than happy to take suggestions. And um, most importantly, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you got something out of it. Thank you so much for listening. Be safe, be well, and I'll see you in the next one.